So today I read a piece in The Atlantic by Derek Thompson that hit close to home as a parent, and it was about rising levels of teen sadness, depression, anxiety, mental health issues in teens. And this was actually a pretty good article. I'll link to it in the show notes, but I wanna talk about it and digest it for you because I think this is crucial as the next generation's coming up and we're seeing really epidemic levels of unhappiness in kids. And it's partially our fault, so we can actually fix this. So Derek starts by kind of pointing out that since 2009, levels of self-reported sadness, depression, anxiety, et cetera, in kids have skyrocketed, more so in girls than boys. And so there's a few things to digest here. Number one, is it real? And so there's sort of three things he goes through that are kind of these fallacies that people have that, no, maybe it's not real because first of all, um, could it be that teens are just buttholes? And of course they're gonna say these things because they've been doing bad activities forever. But the truth is, if you actually look at data, there's less drinking and driving, less uh, early sex, less alcohol abuse, less all kinds of, the kind of things that we used to do when we were kids that uh, in kids now. So it's probably not that. It's also not a question of over-reporting. So yeah, we've destigmatized mental illness to some degree. So maybe kids are more comfortable saying, oh, I feel sad or I'm depressed or whatever. And, and that's all great and possibly a small component of it. But then you can actually look at ER visits for suicide attempts and for self-harm, cutting and things like that. So actual and, and eating disorders, things like that, they've all risen. And in fact, emergency department staff will tell you this is a crisis. Now, the third sort of fallacy is, well, this is all just because of the pandemic, right? No, it was happening before the pandemic. In fact, I did a show on it called, you know, what is social media killing our girls um, prior to the pandemic back in 2018 or 2019. So this has been something that's been brewing for a while. And there are four main things that the article points out that I generally agree with that may be contributors to it. The first is of course, the big one that we talk about all the time, social media. So it turns out that this rise in despair seemed to start. Now, by the way, remember, these are young kids, mostly more, more often girls that are actually contemplating and attempting suicide more, self-harming all this stuff. This, this is a real thing right? And, and it's a serious, serious problem. So we don't want to discount any of this. Social media, starting around 2009 when they started measuring this, around 2012, about 50% of people had smartphones. You have unlimited access to social media. And kids that were born and growing up then now are sort of hooked on this. Now, why is this a problem? Why is social media a problem? And you cannot paint anything with a single brush. So it, it, he, he draws a parallel to alcohol, which I think is valid. For some people, for the majority of people, you can drink moderate amounts, get some social benefit from it, some well-being benefit from it, and the, the harms to the body and to the mental health and to addiction and all that are, are minimal. But there is a group of people, a large group of people that suffer disproportionately. And it turns out young girls are in that group. And they've actually looked at this. Instagram looked at this. About a third of young girls say that using the Instagram app actually made them feel worse. Now, why is it that girls seem to suffer disproportionately? Because social media sort of weaponizes and hijacks our limbic system. Our already pre-existing drive for validation, for social relations, for acceptance in a group. And that's why likes and shares and all of that 
feels so good. It's like jacking right into our brainstem, right? Now with, with young girls who don't yet have a fully developed sense of identity and all of that, especially in that window, you know, 13 years old and so on, they're very sensitive to this. So fear of missing out, relational bullying on social media seems to be more prominent with girls. Uh, guys just seem to get physical with each other more. I mean, again, I'm generalizing, but the, the, the idea of you can never escape the bullying because it's they have 24 seven access to you through social media. You are uh, constantly chasing ideals that don't exist in the real world and beauty filters and all this other stuff, right? And we've not evolved to have that degree of limbic, emotional and social hijack at that young of an age. So the social media component of it is really a huge issue, especially if girls have unlimited access because on average, they're using it for five hours a day, which brings us to the, and guys, guys suffer from this too. Now, the second big problem is this idea that it's not just social media, it's what social media is costing us, what it's taking away. So it's one thing if Instagram or Facebook or Twitch or not Twitch, Twitch is dumb for gamers. I'm talking about um, uh, TikTok. If that were replacing staring at a TV screen and watching dumb cartoons all day, right? That'd be one thing. It'd be a swap, but it's not. What we're finding in the data is that it's actually replacing in-person social connection. So our children are actually becoming more alone and not in a good way because they're alone with a phone and they're deep in the, you know, five hours of social media and at all hours. So it's cutting into their actual relations. And there's plenty of data that says that kids actually do better in social situations, most of them mentally from a mental health standpoint. So social connections, relations, friends, peers, those are crucial parts of growing up and they're being taken and put onto social media, which is not a substitute. In fact, it's poisonous in that way. And so you've taken away alone time and replaced it with alone with phone and you've taken loneliness and you've made it epidemic because they're not actually seeing each other. Instead, they're seeing each other through these filters. That's a huge problem. Now, you can imagine that the pandemic made that worse. So we took probably one of the greatest public health mistakes of all times, and we inflicted it on our children. We closed schools. In the Bay Area, they were closed for a year. And then after that, we put masks on kids, that cloth mask that didn't do much of anything. And we robbed them during pandemic of that social interaction that's so crucial. And we put them on devices and Chromebooks and Zoom and all this other garbage. So we made it much worse. Now you could say, well, there were some, you, maybe you had to do some of that, whatever. <clears throat> the bottom line is the harm is done. So what was already a problem accelerated dramatically during pandemic. And any pediatricians you talk to, psychologists you talk to, psychiatrists you talk to, parents you talk to will all tell you stories. My kids will tell you stories of their peers that are in the guidance counselor with anxiety, depression, uh, disconnection. They still haven't seen each other's faces here in the Bay Area because they're still, even though there's no mandate, they're still wearing masks because they've been conditioned to do so by fear, which is problem three. Now I'm starting to get riled up because I have two daughters, age 14 and 10. 
And by the way, they're amazing kids and they don't get social media. And I talk to them about news and things like that. And I talk to them about so the importance of social stuff and it's still a challenge, right? So this being said, the, the third thing is this milieu of social news that we have between social media and nonstop news availability on the internet, kids are deluged with the impression that the world is a disaster area. The entire world is a Superfund site. That's how old I am. I still remember Superfund sites. Climate change is gonna kill us. Political division is gonna kill us. Neo-Nazis are gonna kill us. The war in Ukraine, the pandemic. My daughter was telling me about kids in her school. They're so afraid of COVID. They're paralyzed by it, not knowing at all that their own risk and the risk of their vaccinated families is like, but they don't know that because they're watching the news, which by the way, has a negativity bias. Negative news sells because again, it hijacks our limbic system, our unconscious mind, our emotional mind that evolved to keep us safe from threat. So it has a threat bias. It's that elephant that, that is the majority of our brain and this little logical writer thinks he's in charge, but he ain't, right? So surrounding yourself with crappy news means kids feel a sense of despair. They feel the world is worse off than when their parents had it. And you can look at actual statistics to say, oh, we're actually a little safer and things are generally getting better. Even if you disagree with that, kids have a disproportionately negative outlook. And this is during a very delicate time. I remember growing up in the Cold War and thinking, oh, the end of human civilization is at hand, right? And that was terrifying as a teen because you have all this existential fear as it is. So now kids are bombarded with these existential sort of news stories constantly, constantly. And guess what? Adults are too, and they transfer it to their kids, which is problem number four. Oh, by the way, by the way, for the news thing, you think this, I'm just making this shit up. So Facebook, there was actually a study where they, right before the midterm elections, they took Facebook away for four weeks from people and then they gauged how they did. And this is what they found. The people were less informed in general about world events, but they had higher scores on well-being, personal subjective well-being. So they knew less about the world, but they were happier. I don't know. I would take that trade-off any day that my teen doesn't know how many civilians were you know, murdered in Mariupol, um, but they feel better about their general prospects and are gonna be a bigger impactor in the world. I think that's probably a reasonable trade-off to avoid the constant news cycle of negativity, right? Positive stories barely ever get reported. And that, hey, sorry to interrupt this episode, it's Dr. Z. Just a quick pitch here. If you can just leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, it helps us a lot. I also wanna hear what you think about this episode when you're done listening. Hello at zdogmd.com. It's the best way for me to hear your voice because the emails come right to me and we don't have a comment section on most podcast platforms. Maybe Spotify has one, but nobody else does. So it really gets your voice involved on episodes, especially that don't have a video. And the third thing is if you wanna be a part of this community and support the show, join our supporter tribe, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. You can join on YouTube, Locals, Facebook, Instagram. You get live videos with me where we're talking about these things in depth, uncensored, and your comments are fully incorporated as in real time. And then we do these Zoom meetings where it's really like a beautiful community where we share our experiences on the awakening journey list journey. 
how are we going to transform ourselves so we can transform healthcare and education and government? Because those systems are epiphenomena of us. Until we wake up, those systems will stay asleep. They'll, they're just an expression of our own delusion. So being a part of that, it supports this message so others can hear it. And it also allows for our own collective growth. So we need each other in that way. It's really, really, really tightly interwoven and interdependent. That's it. Back to your regular schedule, regularly scheduled show. Leads us then this projection of anxiety into problem four, which is us, the parents. So Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukanoff wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, which is a much must read book for all of y'all. And the premise is basically this. Since the 70s and 80s, when there were these high profile kidnapping cases, you know, very few kidnappings. In fact, they've all gone down over time, but high profile news, right? Parents started this process of over-parenting their kids, protecting them, not letting them go out, not doing stuff. And all this data says kids are driving less, they're getting their driver's license later, they're kissing a girl or a guy later, they're um, not drinking alcohol, doing all these standard risk-taking behaviors, they're pushing it all later because the parents have wrapped them in bubble wrap. And part, it's all done with good intention. The parents are anxious too. And they're projecting this anxiety onto the kids, which means they don't get to take the same kind of risks. They're doing less chores. They're doing less summer jobs, things like that. And they're in a battle to get into college, which again, the parents are projecting their own hopes and dreams. This is often more affluent parents onto the kids. And the kids are overscheduled, booked with dumb activities they don't really care about. They're not actually doing a kind of standard sports and things like that. They're not hanging out with their friends. They're not doing that kind of stuff. They're just overscheduled and parents are driving them around everywhere or the nanny's driving them around everywhere. And it's this race. So they're doing tons of homework. It's not like they're lazy. You think Gen Z is lazy? You got another thing coming. My kids are not lazy. It's actually, they're they're overworked. The amount of homework they get and other, other garbage like that. They don't get to go out and play. They don't hang out with their friends. It's a play date now. Like it's a big thing. Like we have to schedule with Veronica's mom. We have to do this. We gotta make sure that they, oh, and by the way, are you guys gonna wear your masks? Are they triple vaccinated? No, we didn't have any of this when we were kids. We hung out, we took risk, we socialized, we got beat up a little, right? And that made us stronger. Children are anti-fragile. They get stronger from adversity within parameters. You don't wanna break them with an adverse childhood experience that's so bad that it that causes damage. But you do wanna challenge them, and we haven't. Parents have just dropped it. And this, this accommodative parental style where we say, oh, you know what? Little Jane doesn't is afraid of dogs, so she can't go over to anyone's house who has a dog. If you have a dog, you need to lock your dog up, and we're going to avoid dogs at all costs to keep her from being upset. Uh, is that the best way to do it? No. Little bits of exposure. You challenge kids. You don't overprotect them because then what happens is they become fragile, and that's what we see now, where kids feel like words are actually violence, where you know they're they're they're. You need their safe spaces and all this other stuff. And it does affect their mental health because they don't have a sense of competence, of agency, of overcoming adversity. And we're overvaluing all this college admission stuff to the detriment of our children going out and having free play. Like recess has been shrinking, 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 shrinking. It ought to be the whole day, honestly, because school doesn't do much else. Anyway, but that, I'm a little biased. And so we need a little more permissiveness of discomfort with our kids. 
and with ourselves. We need to let go of this anxiety. So for these four things, social media, how are we gonna save our kids? Social media, don't let them have it. <laughs> or have a really honest talk with them. Constantly look at what's going on. Watch what's happening because it's cutting into their sleep too. So many fewer of them get less than eight hours of sleep because they're often up watching YouTube videos or watching uh, connected to their phone, connected to social media, texting with their friends late at night. We had to have a talk with our daughter about this because she wasn't sleeping. So parents control that, believe me, they can. And that's something that ought to happen, but it ought to be done in conjunction with your kids because it's a partnership actually. You can say, this is why I'm doing it. My, my daughter actually downloaded Snapchat and was using it, we didn't know, and found out she was using it. We were like, we got really mad at her. We're like, what are you doing? Like Snapchat is garbage, like it's social media. And she actually sat us down and was like, listen, I wanna tell you how I'm using Snapchat. Let me show you. Let me show you what my privacy settings are. Let me show you who my friends are. Let me show you what we do. This is how we communicate with each other. And we use these filters and we use it through Snap because they're all on Snap. Now I can, she said, I can delete it, but it's gonna be less out of person interaction with my friends, which is fine. So we looked at it and we said, let's do a trial. We're gonna watch what you do for a month. And that trial is still ongoing. So that's how we do social media in our house, you may have different solutions, right? But there are resources online too for this. Um, from the asocial part, let's stop calling these things play dates. These are kids, go hang out with your friends. Carve out time to just do nothing, right? And go hang out with your, with your, with your friends, have sleepovers, do the kind of things that we used to do that generate that real relational connection. And now that, you know, COVID is not, <laughs> I hesitate to say this, but COVID is not a thing. Go do your thing with your friends, right? Let them do this. It's starting to open up in the Bay. My kids are having a sleepover this weekend. It's great because other people, other parents' sphincter tone has dropped finally. Um, from the world news piece, it's just talking to your kids and modulating that and, you know, kind of just if the minute you get rid of the social media, they've already lost a lot of that garbage. And we need to sort of talk really bigger picture, like financial incentives for the press. Wouldn't it be nice if they got paid more for running stories that were more accurate and positive than constant negativity bias stories where, you know, if it bleeds, it leads type of thing. And then the parenting thing. Well, parents, there are resources online too. Definitely check out uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. He has a big bibliography in the back and different resources for more, uh, more, um, appropriate parenting to make our kids more anti-fragile. And it'll solve a lot of our problems, the less social media, less political division, less hive mind, less groupthink, all these things. So anyways, I hope this was helpful. I'm sorry it was so long. I kind of make this stuff up as I go. If you like what we do, please become a supporter. Join our supporter tribe where we have conversations like this live exclusively for supporters at zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And supporters actually get access to free continuing medical ed education credits for any specialty that accepts AMA PRA category one credits for reflecting on this activity. We put a link in your supporter feed for access to that. I love you guys. Let's love our kids by showing them a little bit of tough love sometimes and being a little harder on ourselves on how we do this because projecting our anxiety on the kids is not, is not helpful, believe me, and I'm guilty of it too. I love you guys, we are out. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. 
it, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.